If you have your Bible with you, open it up to Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6. It's the very last book of the Bible. You guys wanted to study the book of Revelation, and I told you, listen, the first five chapters are absolutely incredible. And then we come to chapter 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, which are all about this tribulation period. It's this seven-year period of tribulation. If you remember, and you've been studying along with us, in chapter 1, we saw this glorious vision of the Lamb of God. The Apostle John is on the island of Patmos. He's in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, and he sees this vision of the resurrected Jesus Christ, known as the Lamb of God. In chapter 2 and 3, we were exposed to the churches of the Lamb of God. The church, these seven churches that existed in these seven geographical locations that Jesus was walking in the midst of these churches and and he he was correcting them, he was rebuking them, he was encouraging them, he was complimenting them, different churches, different things, but he met them right where they are and he gave them all the opportunity. He said, listen, persevere, persevere. The church in Philadelphia, he said, if you'll overcome, I will keep you from the hour of tribulation that's coming upon the whole world. It's coming upon the whole world. At the end of chapter 3, we see John is taken up into heaven. And immediately he finds himself in the throne room of God. I believe that taking up is a representation of the rapture of the church. I don't believe that as we study through chapters 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10, the church as a whole, the body of believers, will not be present on the earth during this tribulation period. He told the church of Philadelphia, I will keep you from the hour of tribulation. The Apostle Paul said that we would be caught up, we would be snatched away to be forever with the Lord in the air in the book of 1 Thessalonians. Following that, John is taken up in, and he has, and we spent chapter 4 and chapter 5 looking at this beautiful throne room of God. It's really, if we were to take a look at it, we see the glory of the Lamb of God in heaven. And we were exposed to something last week. There was a scroll that was brought out, and the scroll had seven seals, and Well, there was some disappointment. There was some weeping. John was weeping because nobody was worthy to open this scroll. And the angel said, don't worry. There is one that's worthy. The lion of the tribe of Judah can open the scroll. The lamb of God can open the scroll. And Jesus takes the scroll from God, from the hand of God. And he's going to begin this morning unsealing the scroll one seal at a time. As he takes off that first seal, we're going to see what comes in or what's ushered in is what's commonly known in the church as the tribulation period. It's a seven-year period of tribulation. If you're not familiar with it, today is going to be a lot of stuff that you might not catch. But I want you to understand something. When you study this area of Scripture, when you study the tribulation Scripture, there's some other Scriptures that you have to have a good understanding that go along with it. Okay, The first one is Daniel chapter 9. The whole book of Daniel, really, but you really have to have a good understanding of Daniel chapter 9, which, gives, which tells us about the, 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 the Jewish people and their 70th week, and this is that picture of that seven-year tribulation period. You also have to have a good understanding of Matthew chapter 24, which is Jesus himself talking about the tribulation period, as well as some study of Ezekiel 38, Ezekiel 39, and there's some others, there's several other uh, scriptures that we'll, we're not going to cover all of that today. Okay, I'm not going to go back and try to explain what, all, what Daniel 9 is, what Ezekiel 38 39 is, what Matthew 24 is. We may highlight things briefly as we go along, but we're going to focus on Revelation chapter 6. And as I've kind of done 
with the rest of the book, we're going to kind of hover above it. We're not going to go too deep into any one particular point because I think that if we do, we'll lose the big focus of that big picture. And I don't want to do that. I want to keep that big picture in mind. But before we go any further, I want to share a couple things with you. This tribulation period. There's two reasons for it. There's two reasons why this tribulation period is going to happen. Number one, this tribulation period is the judgment of a Christ-rejecting world. This tribulation period, what's, what we're going to see unfold in the coming chapters is a judgment by God, by the Lamb of God, by Jesus Christ, of a Christ-rejecting world. You see, somebody could say today, well, wait a minute, Rob. There's lots of tribulation on the earth. There's lots of hard times, lots of things. No, 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 no. Don't mistake the tribulation that comes from the sin of man with the tribulation that comes from the judgment of Jesus Christ. That, well, I thought Jesus was here to save. He is. That's why he died, is to save us. But there's coming a day where the wrath of the Lamb, we're told, and we'll see that before the end of the chapter, will be felt worldwide. You see, the first reason that the purpose, the first purpose is the judgment of this Christ-rejecting world. Don't be deceived. God will judge the world. God's, God's going to judge this earth. He, we can't continue in the, in the sin that we're in without the judgment of God coming upon us. Now, you might be here for the first time or saying, oh boy, we're getting really deep really quick here this morning. Listen, the way that we study the scripture is we study the book from beginning to end. We're going to study all the books of the Bible, not this morning, of course, but we started in the beginning of Revelation, and we're going to study all the way through because there's something the Lord wants us to see in here. He wants us to know what's coming. He wants to show us what's coming. Why? He's hoping that if he tells us, hey, this is what's going to happen, it will, it will draw you unto him. You'll, you'll look and go, well, I don't want any part of what this is about, what we're about to see. I don't want any part of this. You see, in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, it says, In the days of Noah, the Lord saw the wickedness of man, and every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually, and they were not going to change. You see, God, man had gotten so bad in the book of Genesis that he judged the earth with water. He judged the earth. He flooded the earth. You guys know the story from Sunday school. Noah built a boat. Noah and his family were saved. They went through the, through the flood. They started the whole population of the world over because the sin of the world had gotten so bad. And depravity, wickedness was running rampant. I have to ask, how far away are we from that? I don't know. I don't know. I, I will never stand here and say, well, here's it's coming. But what I can tell you is I look back over my life, which isn't that long of a period of time, and the world has gotten worse. Sin has increased. The problems, the issues, you know, the, the morality of man is decreasing, not increasing. I think that we could all probably agree on that. The second reason for this tribulation period is to bring the Jewish people back to the Messiah that they have rejected. To bring the Jewish people back to the Messiah that they have rejected. Understand something, God is not done with the nation of Israel. He's not done. In Genesis chapter 17, verse 7, we're told that God made an everlasting covenant with the Jews. You know what everlasting means? Everlasting. It means forever. There's no secret word there. It means it's going to last forever. But we obviously know that the Jewish people, do they, do they believe in Jesus Christ? No, they've rejected the Messiah. The, this tribulation period is going to bring them back. They're going to realize during this tribulation period, we missed the Messiah. We missed him. We missed him. And they are going to turn to Jesus Christ during this tribulation period. So here's what I want you to understand. The first purpose 
for the tribulation is to, for, God to, for Jesus to judge a Christ-rejecting world. Nobody has to reject Christ. He's freely, freely available to anybody. But if you reject him, you will be judged for it. The second reason for the tribulation period is so God can bring or draw the Jewish people back unto himself. Now, when's this tribulation period going to happen, Rob? You're talking about it. When's it when, when is it going to take place? What, what's, the, what's the clock? What's the calendar? When, when's it going to take place? Well, we don't know when it will actually take place. What we do know is what I believe is the rapture of the church will begin the, this, what's known as the day of the Lord. For, and I'm going to give you kind of a chronological events here. There will be a point in the future. It could be as near as tonight. It could be as near as a couple of thousand years. We don't know the answer to that. There'll be a point in the future where the church, which means the believers of Jesus Christ, are removed from the earth. And we've talked about that in depth in previous studies. After that point, there'll be a, there'll be a period of time that's of unknown length. Because we don't actually know when this seven-year period is going to start. We know when it's going to end once it starts because we know how long it lasts. And we know what will take place in the middle of it, which is known as the abomination of desolation. So we know when it'll, we know the middle, we know the end, we just don't know exactly when the beginning will take place. Listen, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. Caught up is that word, it's the, it's the Latin word rapturo, it's where we get the word rapture from when we talk about that. Caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Do you think there's comfort in knowing that you're going to go through the tribulation or believing that you're going to go through the tribulation? That's not very comforting at all. Because if you've never read beyond chapter 6, you're in for quite a surprise as to what is going to come upon the earth in those days. But understand, there still will be people that get saved during the tribulation period. It's not like the rapture of the church happens and then that's it. If you were left behind, that's it. It's over for you. There will still be people that turn to Christ, although we're told it will cost them their life. It'll cost them their life. They'll be martyred for their faith because they won't go along with the economic system. They won't go along with the political system, system that's in place. And they will actually be killed for what they believe. So that will be, there will be martyrs during this tribulation period. Now, I believe the scriptures tell us very clearly that as the church or what's known as the bride of Christ, we are tucked away in heaven. We are observing, as John is, what's taking place on the earth from above, if you will. So we're in the balcony seats looking downward, if you will. And the, in the scriptures that we're going to cover this morning, we will see um, a couple of different things. Now, this is John. Now, I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals... And I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, Come and see. And I looked and behold a white horse. He who sat on it had a bow and a crown was given to him. And he went out conquering and to conquer. This is the first of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. This is the first of the four horsemen that we're going to cover this morning. This is where... This is where uh, eschatology is the study of end times. This is where people differ in their opinion. Some people look at this horse and they say, who's riding it? 
Who, who is this? Who, who is this person? The first seal is broken. We see the words come and see, which could also mean a command to go, meaning the command to go to the horses being given. But we ha- we're left with the question that we have to answer. Who is riding this horse? What is this? What is this horse a picture of? What is it a representation of? Some people suggest, well, this is Jesus Christ. And they've read ahead and they say, wait a minute, in Revelation chapter 19, Jesus rides a white horse. And good guys always ride white horses, right? That's about the only thing that this rider has in common with Jesus Christ is the color of the horse. Because his friends will be war, will be famine, and will be death. That's what this horse is going to bring along with him. But I want to share something with you. I believe fully that this horse... This rider is a picture of what's known as the Antichrist coming to power. You see, in order for this tribulation period to take place, there has to be, the scriptures tell us, an Antichrist. Someone who is, uh, is, is like Christ, but he's against Christ. And, this, and the scriptures tell us a lot about this Antichrist person. And uh, we don't have time to cover it all this morning. But I think that this is the, the first seal comes undone. This is the gateway. This is the beginning of this tribulation period. Now, here's what's going to take place. This Antichrist is going to come on scene. Where's the church at this point? We're raptured. We're not here, okay? We're not going to, don't, don't look for the Antichrist because you're not going to see him. You're not, you're not going to be able to find him. Is, is, the, is President Obama the Antichrist? No, we're not going to be here when that happens. Why, why, is, why, why aren't we going to be here? Because we're going to recognize him. The Bible gives us enough information about the Antichrist. We're going to know who he is. We're going to see it unfolding. But what we do see is we do see the world getting ready for what we'll call one world government, don't we? Don't we see the European, the European Union gathering? Don't we see the... the, the we're, we're, we're already almost completely on one world economy. Yeah, we're trading in different currencies right now. But when the market in China falls, what happens? If you watch the stock market the last couple of weeks, you know our market was way down. Then it went way back up, but it was following the market in China. It was following the world economy. It, 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 this, our economic system is being linked globally in more ways than you can imagine, in more ways than I can even discuss. So here's what's going to take place. This first rider is going to begin this tribulation period. But I want you to notice something. He's got with him, we saw he's got with him a bow. A bow. When you think of bow, you think of bow and arrow, right? There's no mention of arrows. There's a mention of a bow here. And he, notice this. He comes on the scene. He's going to come on the scene as a peaceful person. He's going to come on the scene as a charismatic leader. He's not going to come on the scene as a man creating war. He's going to come on the scene as a man bringing peace. You see, I believe that the Middle East will be in much greater upheaval. It'll, it'll get worse before it gets better. When the Middle East, when those things, when, when that upheaval is taking place, the world is looking for someone to bring peace. That's, that's how long have we heard the word peace, peace and love. We want peace. We, we just want peace. Well, for a world that wants peace, we have an awful lot of wars going on all over the world. All, you know, we're fighting a war on terror, and, and there's countries all over fighting. But he has this bow. But I want to suggest to you it might not be a bow and arrow. It might just be a different kind of bow. Think about this, a rainbow. A rainbow, a rainbow. Same word used for bow. It could be used to translate rainbow. As a matter of fact, when God put the rainbow in the sky after the flood of Noah, he made a covenant, didn't he? He made a covenant to never destroy the earth with the flood or destroy the earth by water again. This Antichrist will come on the scene with a covenant. 
He will make a covenant between the Arabs and between Israel. Do you think there's a problem there right now today? Do you think it's about to get worse with Iran gaining nuclear weapons? Do you think it's about to get worse that America is pulling out and not, we're not backing Israel the way that we used to? You see, that the, the war between the Middle East against Israel is going to get worse. And you can read more about it in Ezekiel 38 and 39 if you'd like. But here's the thing. As he comes on, what he's going to be coming into is a world that is, that is even, even worse than it is now. It's, there's going to be war taking place everywhere. And he's going to come with the promise of peace. Listen, he's going to come as the Messiah Israel has always wanted. You see, when Jesus came as their Messiah, he came as a, a lamb. He came as as a quiet one. He came as an ordinary person. This man, this this Antichrist is going to come on on the world scene as the Messiah that Israel wants. He's going to, we're told in Daniel, he's going to enter into a peace treaty between Israel and the Arab countries for seven years. There's going to be a seven year peace treaty. They're going to like that. They're going to want that. That's appealing to them. He's coming to bring peace to the earth. But notice he has a crown which means he's bringing authority. He's bringing ruling with him. And the word there in the Greek for crown is Stephanos. It means a victor's crown. It's a crown that is given to somebody. You see, the the word for the crown that Christ will wear is diadem. It's a royal diadem. It's a a crown that that is not, it's, it's his. It belongs to him because of his royalty. So this horse, this first of the first of four horsemen is going to come on the scene. This is going to be none other than the Antichrist. Now I want to read something to you. This is a passage out of a book called Five Minutes to Midnight. It was written by Frederick Talford, and it was written in 1970. And this is what he says about a man named Henry Spock. In 19, right around 57, Henry Spock says this. He was the general of NATO, and he said this at a meeting in Paris. Listen to what he says. 1957. We don't want another committee. We have too many already. It's on the right track. What we want is a man of sufficient stature to hold the alliances of all people and to lift us out of the economic morass into which we are sinking. Send us such a man, and be he God or the devil, we will receive him. 1957, he was the secretary of general of NATO. We want somebody to rule us. We want somebody to bring us out of the economic. They thought they had economic problems then. Think if they could see what today's budgets look like. What our economic problems want. You see, the world is going to, the Antichrist, if the Christians are here, we're going to see all this unfold. We're going to say, wait a minute, we know what's taking place. But the Antichrist is going to come on the power, on on the scene. He's going to be hailed as a hero. He's going to be put into power. He's going to be given authority as the crown represents. He's going to make a covenant with the nation Israel. He's going to allow them to start rebuilding their temple. Up on the Temple Mount where it once stood, you're going to have the Dome of the Rock and the temple standing side by side. He's going to come on, and everyone's going to see this wonderful thing taking place. Don't make another mistake. People think the first half of the tribulation period is all all peaceful. No, the peace isn't going to last very long. There's very little of the tribulation period that's peaceful. It's ushered in with the promise of peace. But with the promise of authority, with the authority of this man, do you know what follows authority? War. Look at the second horse. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come and see. Another horse, fiery red, went out. And it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth. And that people should kill one another. 
and there was given to him a great sword. This red horse represents a symbol of war. As the man of power grows, as his authority grows, he's going to bring war upon the world. You're going to see it take place from heaven, fortunately, but it'll be happening down below. We're at war now, nothing what like it's going to be. Notice what happens with the war. Notice where, where, where does it come from? Look at verse uh, uh, 4. Another horse, fiery red, went out, and it was granted to, hit, to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth. He removes the peace. Peace comes from where? From the Lord. When you remove the peace of the Lord and you leave man to himself, you'll ultimately have what? Fighting. When you have authority and you have a lack of peace, it's going to lead to war. It's going to lead to war. As we study this and we see this taking place, this is going to lay out for us an outline, if you will, for this seven-year period of tribulation. It's going to be ushered in with peace, with authority, and then it's quickly going to turn to war. War will be following it. Now, notice he traded his bow for a sword. The Antichrist, when he comes on the scene as a peacemaker, as he turns to war, he's going to demand absolute obedience. There's going to be nobody thinking for themselves, you're either going to comply or that you will be done away with. You will be killed. You will be martyred. There will be no choice. When they talk about the things like, and we'll get to it when we get further ahead, about the, you've heard about the mark of the beast. You can't buy or sell without the mark of the beast. Do we think that's a real possibility that somebody could come on the scene and say, you have to have a mark to buy or sell? It is more of a reality today than it ever has been. People are already getting implanted with microchips. Voluntarily, they're doing it. Look at the problems that our country has with, with medical and health care. Look at the problems with theft and credit cards and all the, all the, that could all be solved if we had a chip put in you. Do you, you realize how many problems you could solve? It's, going to be, it's not going to be seen as a bad idea. It's going to be seen as a good idea. When this is unfolding, thank the Lord that as a believer, you're not going to be here. We're not going to be here. We're going to be up in heaven singing praise to the Lord. We're going to be at what's known as the wedding supper of the Lamb. We're going to be celebrating with the Lord Jesus Christ as his judgment as his wrath is being poured out on earth. Look at the third seal. When he opened the third seal, I heard the living creature say, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a black horse. And he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures, A quart of wheat for a denarii, and three quarts of barley for a denarii. And do not harm the oil and the wine. The black horse, black in the Bible, it represents famine. It represents hunger. You see, the rider of this horse has what in his hands? He has scales. What are scales used for? To measure weight. To measure weight of what? Food. You, you have a scale. You put a weight on one side, you can buy this much wheat or this much barley. You see, what's, what always follows war is famine. That's what's coming next. We start out with peace, we have war, and now we have famine. But understand something. This is not just like, hey, it's kind of hard to get some food. When it says a quart of wheat... A quart of wheat is what you need to make a loaf of bread. That's about a loaf of bread. You could make a loaf of bread if you have a quart of wheat. Well, Rob, what's a denarii? A denarii is a day's wage. Let me put it to you in perspective. How much do you get paid a day? The average day's wage is what it'll cost for a loaf of bread. Not to buy the loaf of bread, to buy the wheat to make the loaf of bread. Or if you like barley, you can buy three quarts of barley. 
three quarts of barley, which, which is what was given to a Roman soldier during famine times per day. It's enough for one person, not enough for a family of four, a family of two, a family of three. So what we see taking place here is incredible famine. It, it's going to be, the, as, as the war breaks out, the famine is going to follow, and it's going to be very, very expensive to even buy food to eat. But there's something else in this. Do not harm the oil and the wine. Do not harm the oil and the wine. You know what that represents? That represents the wealthy. You see, what we'll see taking place is the wealthy people, the very wealthy people, will continue to get wealthier. They won't be affected by this. They'll have enough money to buy wheat and barley. It'll be an even greater separation between the wealthy and between the poor. This black horse represents the famine. The oil and wine are not touched. The rich will get richer. The poor will be poor. Can you imagine? Much of the world is starving right now. I think it's around 11 or 12% of the world now, they say, is literally starving, which means they have less food than they need to survive. It's going to get worse than that. I heard a statistic today, or not today. I heard it yesterday. I was reading about it. Here's what I read. If all of the world would take their military budget, what they spend on their military, they could solve in one year. So they took their military budget for one year, they could solve world hunger for a hundred years. One year on what we spend on the military. Do you not think we're at war? Do you not think we're, we're, we're stockpiling weapons and nuclear weapons? We could, we could solve world hunger. You see, this, is the, this man is going to bring this on the scene. He's going to solve, we're going to be peaceful. We're going to solve world hunger. We're going to do these things. He's going to say all the right things. The people are going to love him. And once he's in power, they're going to be stuck with him. But notice something before we go too far. The crown was given to him. Everything these horsemen are receiving has been given to them by God. God is the one that is letting this take place on this Christ-rejecting world. This is what lays ahead of the world that rejects Christ. Now, look at the fourth seal. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come and see. So I looked and behold a pale horse. And the name of him who sat on, him, sat on it was death and Hades followed with him. And power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, with hunger, with death, and by beasts of the earth. This is the fourth. 25% of the earth's population, we're told, will die. Six billion people on the earth today, roughly. Do the math. One and a half billion people. Let me put it into perspective. That's all of North America, all of Canada, all of Mexico, and all of South America. Gone, wiped out. And look how it happens. Sat on it was death and Hades followed with him. Power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword with hunger. I told you famine was coming with death. And it says, this is interesting, it says, and by the beasts of the earth. I looked up that word beast. I did a little study and a research on it. Beast means beasts. It means animals. It, can mean, it, it, means, it means living creatures of the earth. But it also, watch this, it also includes microscopic things. Viruses, bacterias. It includes everything that is living on the earth. 25% of the, you know, don't walk around thinking, oh, we're all going to get eaten by lions. We don't have any lions, so we're good. No. Do you know, do you know the fear of some of the viral outbreaks that could happen? 
I don't need to tell you what's been in the news in the last year or two about viral outbreaks around the world. It, it, it can be, you know, with, I mean, even bird flu. It, it, there can be all kinds of things, viruses, that can affect us. A quarter of the population. Now notice who is with this rider. This rider is death, and Hades follows with him. Death and Hades, or some of your translations may say death and hell. Hades is a better translation. Listen, death wants your body, and Hades wants your spirit. Death wants the body. When you die, where do you leave your body? It lays here on earth. Where does your spirit go? Well, if you're not saved, it goes to Hades. It goes to a holding place to where it will be called back and stand before the white throne judgment someday before God. You see, death wants the body. Hades wants the spirit. wants to keep you forever apart from the Lord. That's the fourth seal. Look at the fifth seal. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. They cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them, They should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren, who would be killed as they were, was completed. John looks at the altar. This is what's taking place in heaven. We just kind of went from earth back up to heaven. As As this fifth seal is opened, John looks at the altar, and we're told in Hebrews that the tabernacle is a picture of what things are in heaven. So John actually looks at the altar, and I think he's referring back to Leviticus chapter 4, where when they would make a sacrifice on the altar, they would take the blood of the sacrifice, and they would pour it at the base of the altar or under the altar. It was the blood that was sacrificed. So who are these souls that he's seeing. Who's, who are these souls? Who are these people that are gathered around the altar of the Lord? And look what they're crying out. They're saying, how long? How long, O oh Lord, until you judge and avenge? How long until you judge those who killed us? Because they're still living on the earth. We're dead. We're here at the base of the altar. How long? And look what Jesus does. What did he give them? And a white robe was given to each of them. And he told them, he said, They should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. Who are these people? These are the people who are going to come to Christ during the tribulation period. These are the people who are going to come to Christ. They're going to refuse to follow the Antichrist. They're the people who were martyred. That's what the word witness means. The the word is actually martyr. It's martyrs. So it it means martyr. They're witnesses. They're becoming witnesses of Christ. They are killed because they will not follow the Antichrist. Now let me explain something. I've heard this said before. People have said to me, well, wait a minute, Rob. If this whole rapture thing is true, if, if, you know, there's really like a whole bunch of people that are going out of here, when that happens, then I'll believe. Then I will believe. And I ask them this question. If you can't live for God now in the peaceful world that we live in, What makes you think you're going to take a stand when your life is on the line after the fact? If you can't live for him now, if you can't can't live for Christ now, what makes somebody think, well, I'll just, you know, well, when I see that, it'll happen. No, when this ushers in, this is going to, the world's going to see this as a good thing. They're going to see it as a positive thing. This this man's going to solve problems. He's going to fix the things that are broken. He's going to be the Messiah that the Jews always wanted. Listen. They're crying out, how long, O Lord? How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood 
This is how we know they're from the earth, on those who dwell on the earth. Some people believe this is all the martyrs throughout history, could be, but it's specifically referring to the martyrs that are those that have their life taken during the tribulation period. And notice the Lord gives them that white robe. He says, hang on, hang on, there's still more. I'm not done yet because there's still more people that are coming to Christ. I am convinced the Lord will not call the church home. The Lord will not do all this until the last person is lined up that's going to come to Christ. It is his desire that not one should perish. None. He doesn't want anybody to perish. But he also understands the choices we make. He also gives us the free will to say, you know what? If you don't want to follow me, I'm going to do everything I can to get you to follow I'm going to die for you. I'm going to pave the way for you. I'm going to offer you a white robe. I'm going to offer you everything you need. You can have. Just follow me. But he still gives us, gives us the ability to say, no, thank you. I don't want that. And this is where it ends up. Now, as this is going on in heaven, the sixth seal, which will be the last one we look at this morning, is opened up. It says in verse 12, I looked when he opened the sixth seal. And behold, there was a great earthquake. The sun became black as sackcloth of hair. The moon became like blood. The stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it's shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up. And every mountain and island was moved out of its place. The kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave, every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us, fall on us, hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come and who is able to stand? I want you to notice something. Cosmically, look what's affected. The sun, the moon, the stars, the sky, the mountains, the islands move. Can you imagine? Is this plays out? You say, Rob, this has got to be symbolic. I don't believe that it is. I believe that this is physically going to happen. Well, how could this, what natural disaster could do something like this? It's God we're talking about. If God created it, he can shake it up. He can put his hands on it and just rattle the earth a little bit. And it'll be all kinds of things that are falling apart. But notice what he says. The sun is going to be darkened. Can you imagine what that would be like? Imagine what it would be like without a day of sunshine. Just wake up tomorrow morning black, dark. No sun, no moon, right? No, no light of the moon, just pitch black. It would be dark. Can you imagine if stars started falling from the sky and landing? At Earth? You, know what that, you know what havoc that would create? It would be incredible. I'm glad I'm not going to be here. Zephaniah says this about the great day of the Lord. Zephaniah says, The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and it hastens quickly. The noise of the great day of the Lord is bitter. There the mighty men shall cry out. The day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of devastation and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet and alarm against the fortified cities and against the high towers. That was Zephaniah 1, chapter, or chapter 1, verse 14 through 16. Now I want you to notice who's affected by this day of the Lord. Who's affected by it? It says kings, great men, rich men, commanders, mighty men, every slave, every free man. Who's affected by it? Everybody that's living on the earth. 
everybody from kings to slaves. And here's what I find absolutely amazing. This is what I find incredible. They hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains. They knew where it was coming from. They knew it was the wrath of the Lamb. They knew it was the wrath of Jesus Christ. They weren't denying that it was him. And in their commentary, they say, For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Rather than running to the Lord, they're going to be running from the Lord. Where are they running to? A cave. Because they think they can find safety in a rock. Wrong kind of rock. They're running away from him. They recognize it takes place. They recognize what's going on. We know who it's coming from, and they won't turn to him. Instead, they ask the question, who is able to stand? Only those who will believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. At this point in our study, is it still possible for someone to get saved? Absolutely. Absolutely. But it's going to cost you your life. You see the salvation is going to cost a lot more then than it does now. You see, prior to this point, today, because the Lord hasn't come back yet, for his church, salvation costs you very little. It's just a matter of your heart saying, I, I, when I read this, I think, I don't want to be a part of this. I don't, I don't want anything to do with this. There are some folks who believe that the church will go through this tribulation period, as I've said before. And they're Christians, they're brothers, they're sisters, they're saved. That's okay, they have difference of opinions. But when I see this kind of judgment coming on the world, I look back and I see, you know what? Lot was removed from Sodom before it was judged. Noah was carried through the judgment safely because he was righteous. Enoch walked with God and was taken up. Elijah was taken up in a chariot of fire. It's not anything new that we're seeing take place. So the question that poses this morning is, where will you be? Will you be in heaven with John? Or will you be on earth watching this unfold? It's my heart that each one of us here will be in heaven. Listen, as a believer, when I look at this section of scripture and throughout the rest of the book of Revelation, I want to share a couple things. Number one, I'm grateful that I'm not going to be here. I'm grateful. I'm, I, there's a part of me that goes, praise the Lord, I don't have to be there. But I also have to tell you, I'm also brokenhearted about it. Because I know that there are people that will be here. And there are people that I know and that I love and that I care about that have rejected Christ that will go through something like this. Well, Rob, what happens if this doesn't happen for another 100 years? Well, the outcome is still the same. Either you're going to be with the Lord or you're not. You're going to be with Hades. You're going to be waiting on to be called back on the white throne judgment, which we'll cover much later in the book of Revelation. What we have to be sure of this morning is, are we saved? When we say the word saved, what do we mean? Ever, that's a Christian word. It's like a term. Are you saved? Saved from what? Saved from this? That's what I'm saved from. If I have to go through it, why call myself saved? I better start packing up and start gathering my, my food and my supplies and getting everything together because we're in for some rough times here. 25% of the world's going to die. And we have, this is only the beginning. We're only getting started. We're not, we're not you know, I, I told you, we got 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. But what we're going to see as we continue through this book the Lord is still at work. He's not done. He's still working. He's still giving people. He's going to dispatch witnesses during this time to tell people about Jesus Christ. He's not done. He hasn't given up. He's trying to get everybody that will come to him to come to him. 
If you don't know the Lord this morning, please see me before you leave, and I'd love to pray with you. Or if you've been away from the Lord for a long time, and you need to give your life back to Christ, just come up with me afterwards, and we'll pray together, and we can do that together. But I, wanted, I, I don't want to think that anybody here, uh, here especially, but anybody would have to go through something like this. And if you think that this is bad, it's, it's, it's going to get worse from there on. So let's pray. Father, you put this in your scriptures. Lord, to be honest with you, I don't like studying it. I don't like teaching it. I'd rather just teach your grace and your mercy. But Lord, I also know that there's another side. There's a righteous judgment that takes place for those who reject you. And Lord, as we cover your entire scriptures, we cover all of your scriptures, and we represent you completely, all of your character, not just part of your character. Lord, we have to cover these types of scriptures. As we study through the book of Revelation, Lord, as we continue on and we see the judgment, this wrath of the Lamb that's going to fall on the earth, Lord, may it motivate us to do something. May it motivate us to share the gospel with people. Lord, may it light a fire in us and ignite us that, hey, this is serious. Our loved ones, the family that we care about so deeply, they could be stuck here for this. Lord, you told us the preludes of the things to come. You told us that there would be wars and rumors of wars, pestilence, earthquakes, famines. Lord, we're seeing an increase in all of those things today. As labor pains, it's going to continue to get worse. Father, may our focus be on what you've called us to do. As always, may we look up for you to return, but may may we be busy about your work while we're here. Lord, if there's anybody that doesn't know you here this morning or needs to come back to you, would they just come see me afterwards? Just burn in their hearts, Lord, that they wouldn't be able to leave here knowing this is what could face them. In Jesus' name, amen.